What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Antoine Denois. Thank you, Gilles. Yeah, you're CEO of AXA Climate. A real pleasure to have you with us here today. We're going to dive straight in, and um, we're going to start by exploring a bit about AXA Climate, uh, what's going on for it so far as an organization, how it's adapting and evolving. Um, perhaps you can start by sharing a little about its reason for being, its passion and its purpose. Good question, Gilles, to begin with. Uh, AXA Climate, 400 team members launched uh, four years ago, and we have one mission, which is climate adaptation. So the purpose of AXA Climate is to support the private and public sectors to succeed in their adaptation for climate. So uh, adaptation, as you will uh, probably see in our discussion, Gilles, is a key compass uh, of all what we have uh, tried to achieve over the past four years. Yeah, well, so adapting, adapting to an ever-changing climate is, of course, is, is, is highly topical. We are entering a more and more volatile business climate. The world is changing fast. Um, and, of course, insurance really isn't just about managing risk, as you say. It's about sort of adapting and evolving. So how is AXA Climate's approach to insurance different than traditional methods? The big question mark for us in the insurance space because of climate is an existential one. Uh, how can we revamp our value proposition in order to keep bringing value in the market uh, for protection? And the idea from AXA Climate from the start, uh, Gilles, was to revamp the full value chain of insurance in order to uh, achieve our target of climate adaptation. And the strength of having a purpose is that it gives you the floor for innovation. Because when you want to uh, help for adaptation big corporates, you understand very quickly that the priority is not to sell insurance, but for example, to give knowledge and, and to train people across organizations to better understand biodiversity, climate, and impact. So AXA Climate Now, of course, one of our activity is insurance, but we have also now three other activities at the service of the cause, training, consulting, and financing. So uh, more than ever, we are, of course, insurer because we are AXA, but at the service of the purpose, we are now able to go beyond our core business of insurance. I know that you actually have more scientists than you have actuaries, which is unusual um, for an insurance business. And, and in many ways, the company is, um, uh, is part of the big innovation that we see in business. It's, it's, I often uh, refer to this change that we're experiencing as the largest macro change program ever that we're facing in business, you know, halving emissions by 2030, uh, reducing nature loss, improving inequality for all. These are massive challenges, all amidst COVID, climate, conflict, massive systemic challenges. Um, so you have been looking at uh, these areas through the lens of how can you help systems change? 
And one of the areas you've been looking at is through sort of novel partnerships or, or approaching partnerships in different ways. Perhaps you can speak to that. For instance, I know that in agriculture, your section around regenerative agriculture, you have a quite a novel impact fund. Could you, could you speak to that a little? Of course, I will answer your question, Gilles, because I like to answer your question. But just before uh, getting back to your question of challenge, to make it very concrete for uh, people listening to us, um, because of climate change, we, we are going to have less and less capacities to insure. The insurability of many goods, many physical assets is in jeopardy. That's why we need to allocate progressively as insurers our capacities to big players moving fast in terms of transition. So the big bet behind AXA Climate in 5, 10, 15 years time is to be able to uh, develop services for corporates in order to allocate our resources, capacities, our balance sheet for people, uh, for employees, for corporates having done some uh, real work in terms of transition. So because of scarcity of capacities, uh, it's an existential challenge for us in the insurance space. To go back to your question, Gilles, of partnership, first step of AXA Climate in terms of incubation was to generate businesses. So we are a PNL. We generate uh, uh, this year uh, 20 million of revenues. So we like to make uh, some money and to do some business. But the second step of the journey is to level, to increase our level of awareness if we want to boost our impact. And to be able to boost their impact, we need to be more open to the ecosystem of uh, ecological transition. And we need to set some partnerships uh, to be able to combine strength and to go further. Uh, what does it mean? It means, of course, partnerships, but not traditional partnerships in the way we see it. Uh, we want to break the rules in the way we set some partnerships. So we do not want at all to have uh, top-down partnerships by CEOs very difficult to execute after four teams. We want to have a bottom-up and local approach and uh, in a very concrete and step-by-step -step approach to connect with partners. Two examples, very concrete one. First is Unilever. Uh, we have uh, just launched a big fund uh, to secure the transition for agriculture and soil quality. And we have been able to convince uh, employees and, and, uh, and teams from Unilever to combine with AXA Climate plus a private equity fund for the architectures and to put 100 million euros for soil quality. In order to do it, uh, we have gone through the process of uh, what is your purpose, what are your values, and how do we commit on concrete next step in order to make it happen. So it's a complete change of uh, connection with partnerships. We do not talk about business plan at all. We just talk about the intent, the values, and the concrete next step to make it happen in an organic way and to make it uh, very concrete since the beginning. Another example, Gilles, is training, uh, because if we want to train and to uh, bring awareness to uh, as many employees as we want, we need to partner with experts of uh, specific fields. And we have one very important partnership with Hectare. Hectare is the name of uh, a new campus in France, close to Paris, uh, in charge of um, uh, training new farmers for a, a new way of producing foods. And they have a specific singularity, they have expertise, they, they know the field, and we have our specific singularity, which is digital, and being able to, uh, to produce content with high level of quality in order to, uh, uh, to diffuse content uh, in, for many, many employees. So we combine strength in order to uh, create a new product, training farmers to succeed in their transition.
position. Yeah, well, this is fascinating because not only uh, and many people will know um, that are aware of the big challenges out there, you know, things like soil quality and the way in which we farm are vital um, for the transition. Uh, but your approach, uh, this shift from sort of, you know, as you say, sort of breaking the rules or challenging the, the current mechanistic paradigm from sort of top down, highly um, complicated, um, rigid um, partnership relationships into something that's much more fluid, much more locally attuned, much more emergent, is vital uh, for the kind of public-private, multi-stakeholder partnerships we need moving towards a, a climate-constrained uh, world. So you're at the edge of this, and you're prototyping this, and you're proving to other organisations how this can be done um, well. Now, I, at the same token, this because it, of course the story doesn't stop here you're also embedding the same mindset into your organization into the way in which you appreciate your culture so could you speak a bit about this shift you know from a hierarchic top-down traditional sort of siloed organization to actually how AXA climate was originally set up with this intent of creating this uh, emergent more locally attuned culture your first question Gilles was about the purpose I gave you an answer. I didn't answer about the personal driver, me as a CEO launching AXA Climate. And my personal driver, my individual purpose, was to be able to reduce suffering around me for employees. And I knew uh, I have been uh, on other uh, big corporates for a long time, and I have seen the bad impact of our large organizations in terms of bureaucracy, lack of commitment, and people not happy at all, I would say, with uh, very simple words. So the driver of AXA Climate from the beginning for me was to succeed in getting this commitment, this satisfaction of team members around me in order to be at the service of the same cause. So by design, the culture is the main asset of AXA Climate. Uh, I can get rid of all other capabilities except the culture because we are uh, by design a culture that mirrors our, our, um, our mission. I told you about the mission of adaptation uh, the key element of success for us is to be as adaptive as possible in order to reflect this mission. That's why we have been able to, to put as a priority the maximum level of freedom for all team members. When you put it as uh, the main hypothesis of your culture, all is organized differently than in a traditional organization. Because you want freedom, uh, you want people not having classical management. Uh, because you want freedom, uh, you want people not uh, being forced to be assessed in terms of performance. Because you want freedom, uh, you want to have an uh, uh, alternative way of regulating uh, feedbacks, uh, growth in terms of skills, etc., etc. So by design, we decided to start from scratch. Jill. So no organigrams, no traditional uh, management. Uh, and the idea is to have a bottom-up approach and uh, each uh, six months to be able to reflect on who we are and how we are organized in order to optimize progressively the way we work together. Yeah, well, this is fascinating. I was just speaking earlier today about this sort of freedom within framework was the expression uh, used. And so this, this plays to what I talk about in the book, as you know, around divergence and convergence. Divergence, this sort of freedom, uh, diversity, uh, different perspectives, doing things in different ways, having self-organizing teams, convergence, bringing some structure, some order, some rules of the game so that people can operate 
and have that freedom whilst knowing how to go about things. Now, that's a healthy tension. Can you speak to that tension a little bit? I know that you have certain rituals and, and so forth that you bring in. How do you speak? How do you provide that framework within the freedom? Yes, good questions, because it can be a chaos huh? uh, at the beginning, if just freedom. So the idea is to share some common glue. So we have uh, the mission. So when you work at AXA Climate, you need to be convinced in terms of guts by the mission of climate adaptation. You have the values, and we are very selective in the way we recruit in order to be sure that we have people that uh, share the same values. And we have what we call rituals. So to, be, to make it very concrete, Gilles, what do we mean by rituals? We mean that at the beginning of AXA Climate, we took all the decision making in my mind as a CEO, and we make them explicit in order to distribute the power of decision. Because the main uh, default of big organizations is what I call the, uh, the paradox of uh, the empowerment. Uh, top management uh, repeating to their teams, uh, please being empowered, but they do not crack the, the elephant in the room, which is decision making. If you do not revamp and making explicit the way you decide, you cannot be up to the promise of empowerment. So the rituals, we have 10 rituals. Uh, is an explicitation, a clarification of the way we decide collectively for recruiting, for feedback, for remuneration. For example, when you want, I know Gilles that you want to be recruited at AXA Climate, uh, if you follow uh, the recruitment interview and process at AXA Climate, I'm kidding, of course, you will see four interviewers and we have a collegial decision making and each interviewer at AXA Climate have a no-go veto right. So it's, it's what we mean by empowerment. It's not just Antoine taking the decision to recruit Gilles. It's each team member in a position, knowing the rule of the game, to decide uh, for AXA Climate. So we did it for recruitment, the same for remuneration. I'm not the one anymore deciding about increase of remuneration. Remuneration at AXA Climate comes from skills acquisition. So the only question we ask to each team member at the end of the year is, uh, what did you learn? And we have a kind of collective ratings of this acquisition journey from each team member in order not to be biased in the way we decide at the end of the day for each team member. And there's another very important rituals because we do not have management, but we do not, we do not want to be only uh, nice with you and uh, all this stuff of, uh, of, um, of, of being nice for being nice. We want to, being benevolent means I want you to grow. That's why we have a rituals called feedback rituals. We have 30 minutes each week compulsory for all team members, randomly you have two team members uh, giving you feedback and receiving feedback from you. Uh, it's very good. It's a good way to regulate uh, in terms of development and valorization feedback uh, the way we work together. Yeah, well, look, look, this is music to my ears, and you know I've had the real pleasure of of, of knowing AXA Climate and also working with um, um, uh, Veronique, your your head of culture and innovation, a, a very bright. Uh, lady who's um, deeply immersed in applying living systems uh, thinking and I know you often talk about exoclimate as a living a living being um, so just to clarify to the listener there you've got collective recruitment processes everybody's involved in recruiting the right people so there's a fit so there's a sense of coming in you're joining in to this living being and if anybody has a deep sort of reaction against someone they have the chance to veto and then you have also collective ratings to help people um, understand 
um, where they're at and where their growing potential is. And then to support that, you've got this regular feedback, compulsory feedback, 30 minutes for everybody to give each other feedback per week. So it's a, a real living system. Now, I also know that you have squads. Um, and we talk a bit about this, about how you build in the sensitivity into the squads so that people within the teams can constantly sense how the system is changing. So could you just share with me a little bit about how the squads work and how you develop that feedback? Yes, another tips, which is a zero-based uh, meeting at the beginning of each quarter. So at the beginning of each quarter, uh, we escape all meetings we suppress all meetings, a priori meetings in the agenda, just to be sure we do not repeat this kind of uh, dead one-to-one -one when we want to feel progressively. And to be sure that for each meeting, we have an intent, very important. Uh, meeting means intent. To go back to your question about the squad, yes, the idea is quite clear to say we have a challenge to tackle collectively. We want to decide. And as a CEO, I give the authorization to a squad to decide. So I give him concrete decision-making power. Uh, it's a volunteer process, so people that want to volunteer uh, can be part of the squad. And what, she, what is very important, it's not people with the same uh, mindset and the same uh, opinion, but it's also all people that are being, that is likely to be impacted. Just to be sure that we have diversity in the way uh, the squad is built. And after, there is a, a mandate, it's time boxed, so there is a, a short period of time, and at the end of the day, I need, we need to respect the decision coming from the squad. And to go back to the question of rituals, the 10 rituals, we have a squad uh, each year uh, meeting together and they have the absolute right to decide uh, about rituals. And I need to comply with it. So if they want to change the way we recruit, if they want to change the way we remunerate, I need to comply because it's the power we give collectively to this squad of team members. So how does this feel? Um, to you first before we go to you sort of personally as a leader as a CEO you know there's obviously an immense level of freedom there there's there's obviously a framework as well uh, for you on a day-to-day -day basis how does this actually feel compared to perhaps previous organizations where you've led it's an absolute pleasure the mental burden is zero I'm not kidding huh? uh, I'm, uh, I'm by, uh, by constitution I'm very anxious uh, as an individual I like to control uh, so uh, sometimes I, I, I have a lot of mental burden, but uh, over the past four years, no mental burden at all. Why? Because uh, it's the first time in my career uh, that I have the feeling that the organizations uh, can move and surprise myself without my intervention. So I have this idea of uh, just being surprised and trust the collective. So in terms of leadership, it's, uh, of course, at the beginning, uh, quite a revolution in terms of mindset uh, to accept, to, uh, to let the power go. Uh, it's what I did four years ago when I launched Accept Climate. But I have no regret at all because I can feel the power of having people not just behind me, but just around me. You see what I mean? So I'm part of a larger, uh, larger uh, tribe, I would say. Uh, so I have no more the mental burden and, uh, and the, uh, the loneliness of the CEO, in fact. Huh? Yeah. And your perceptual horizon shifts from one of sort of control managed into actually 
sensing and responding, noticing the organization's living system. So you, because you're sort of not so much in the weeds, you are then have this view across the system. You can sense it both externally, how it's adapting to its environment and constantly changing, but also internally. And therefore your skill uh, and, and many um, uh, some people I coach now call themselves chief ecosystem officers. You know, you're then shifting out of that sort of executive officer into actually ecosystem, sensing the ecosystem. Have you noticed that? Exactly. And uh, it's also, it fits my, uh, my skills huh? because I am very uh, emotional. So I have a very good emotional intelligence, I guess. So I like to take some random coffees with all team members, which each team member just to listen uh, and to, to capture what I call weak signals. And weak signals for me are very precious because it gives me insight in order to do what you just described, Gilles, uh, some very exciting meetings when uh, I have a, a meta position and we map, we map ecosystems. We say, okay, AXA Climate uh, in the coming few months, what does it look like in terms of mapping, uh, in terms of connection between domains? And, and I think part of my uh, value now as a, as a leader is really to be sure that we have the same level of vitality and energy across the organizations. And we twist sometimes a bit the way we are organized in order to reestablish vitality when uh, she's a bit lower. You see what I mean? Yeah. And that's it. And you're then noticing that that sort of energy and the, the emergence of the system and what needs to be tweaked. Exactly. Um, so then turning to you um, personally, really, and your own journey, um, uh, where would you say you're at? I mean, are there any particular practices that you found really help you and, um, and and sort of sensing where you are on the journey and and what lies ahead alors i like the idea of uh, uh, energy you just you just mentioned the level of energy that you can detect so my, my tip is always to be to pay attention to my own level of energy and the level of energy of uh, people i talk to uh, and it's very a good compass in terms of action beat myself uh, be it for the others. So my, my tip will, have, uh, will, be, will, will be to have this uh, pair of glass uh, and to detect like uh, the Google glasses, you see, uh, you didn't detect uh, bad stuff or not, not really useful stuff around you in 3D, but you detect energy. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you adopt this pair of glass, you see uh, the world and your ecosystem very differently. And it gives you uh, uh, more, uh, more ingredients for your thinking process, in fact. And I love that, the idea of these sort of lenses and seeing seeing things um, from that sort of energy and that relational perspective where there's stuckness in the system, where there's flow, where there's almost acupuncture points and weak signals that you can work with. Um, in terms of what that leads me to ask, and, and, and um, now as we start concluding our conversation, is that to really sense that energy, you yourself need to have a, a level of coherence, a connection in your own self. And so when you have those random coffee conversations, you can sense, you can use your almost your body mind to sort of sense when things feel right, to detect those weak signals. And that itself requires you to have a certain level of presence, of, of connection. Is there anything that you do to help that? And do you notice sometimes when you're getting tired, for instance, and drained, that you need to re-enliven yourself? Yeah, it's a long journey. Huh? I'm not perfect for that huh? uh, because uh... Uh, sometimes uh, my instinct wants me to, 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 to give immediate solutions. So I like to, uh, because for many years, I was, I was the one giving solutions to teams all the time. So it's, it's very, very difficult sometimes to refrain myself of being this kind of analytical uh, 
thinking process and being uh, and uh, I, I do not succeed each time of course to be really like that like you just mentioned to be there for uh, the team member so uh, it's a long process and I'm still at the beginning I would say on this aspect well I have to say it's been a real pleasure working with you and Veronique and, and, and AXA Climate really a, a, a very interesting organization one to watch as it grows um, the impact that it's providing in the world uh, thank you so much. Um, can I just ask you any little tips that you might want to offer to anyone else? Each time you take a decision, ask yourself, are you the good one to take the decision in terms of skills? You will, uh, you will be surprised. Nice. Uh, looking at how we, um, are we the right people to make decisions? Should we be actually opening that up to others? And that's really the, the fundamental shift from control manage into sense of respond. Invite, open. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Antoine. Thank you, Gilles. Bye-bye. For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader. Mm-hmm.